Well, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I am incredibly thankful to have a facility just in time for one of the most special occasions in our faith, and that's Christmas. And for those watching on Christmas Day online, thank you so much for, for watching as well. So uh, I have a question. Like, how is, it, how is it possible that a baby born in an unremarkable village to unremarkable parents in an unremarkable time, how in the world is he? Adored and worshipped 2,000 years later. It is one of history's greatest mysteries. Because tonight, all over the world, every single time zone, people are gathered like us by the dozens, by the hundreds, by the thousands to celebrate the birth of a Jewish baby named Jesus. So why is it that 2,000 years later, people still celebrate Jesus' birth? I mean, think about it. Some of us, this is a tradition for us. This is something we've been doing for quite a long time. For some of us, it's been years. For others, it's been decades that we would go to church on Christmas Eve and, or Christmas Day, and we would celebrate the birth of Jesus. For others of us, this is new. Like, we were invited by someone. Like, Check out this new building, and yet you came. This is new to you. See, this is one of history's greatest mysteries because there's really two categories of options. One option would say this, that the people who were part of the events who documented what happened and the people who interviewed the people who were part of what happened are telling us the truth and what we celebrate actually happened. And then you have the other group of people that say, listen, we can't trust anything those people said and that something else must have happened. And really, it comes down to two explanations. Either we trust what the people who were there told us happened, happened. Or we come up with theories that explain how Christianity was able to survive the first century. And here's the deal. Historians can't explain it. They can't explain the growth of the church. They can't explain how 2,000 years later, no matter where you are in the world, Jesus is the focus. It's, it's just incredible, and it's undeniable that since the first century, people have been gathering in his name and worshiping him, not as a great leader, no, 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 but a savior. So let's go back to the source, shall we? So there's Matthew, and he wrote an account of what happened. He went to a historical narrative. He wanted to write what had happened. And then there's also Luke. Now, they're friends, but, they're, but the relationship with Jesus is different. And so Matthew he was there with Jesus. And in fact, he was a tax collector. And they were despised. They were rejected by their people. And that Jesus invited him to follow him. And as Matthew decided to follow Jesus, his life was changed. Being a tax collector, not only did he know how to read, but he knew how to write. So he's documenting what he saw, what he experienced. And then you have Luke. Luke. Luke would say, listen, I don't even know Jesus. I did not meet Jesus. I wasn't around Jesus, but I talked to everybody that I could. I talked to John, his close friend who took care of his mom, Mary. I talked to Peter. I talked to Mary. I talked to everybody that I could find because I wanted to write down what had happened because people are curious about this. And so I have a friend named Theophilus, and he's curious, and so I want to give him a full accurate report on what transpired with this man named Jesus. So let's start with Matthew's account and then go to Luke's account. And this is how the birth of Jesus, the king or Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together. Now that's a G-rated 
version of coming together because it's the Christmas story. But I'm sure you know what that means. Before they came together, she found out that they, she was pregnant. And since Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her privately. And like he understood the Torah, he understood the law, he understood what was what, what, what was going to happen to a woman who was pregnant before they got married? She, she under, he understood what would happen to her. He was a good guy. He didn't want to disgrace her. And then all of a sudden, a night happened that he <laughs> was visited by an angel of the Lord in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Joseph, we know who you are. You are in the line of David. Something special is going to happen because it's been predicted for thousands of years for about a thousand years. It's been predicted for about a thousand years. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is of from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Like no one can make this part up, right? Being visited by an angel and making the decision, okay, I understand what the law says, but I am going to, to marry Mary. I'm going to go through this. And the thing that would have been so fascinating to Joseph would have heard that, man, she's giving birth to the Savior. He's going to save people from Rome. He's going to save our people from Rome. But no, the angel says, no, your son is going to save people from their sin. He might be thinking, well, we don't need to be safe from sin. I mean, we have this institution, we have the system, we have the temple, we have everything we need. Like, we have uh, a way to get our sins forgiven. Like, we just need to be saved from Rome and Roman oppression. And the angel says, no, no, no. Look, your son, apart from the institution of the temple, is going to single-handedly save his people from their sins. And if this story wasn't already complicated enough, let's go to see what Luke has to write. Luke, who thoroughly investigated all these things, says this. In those days, in those same days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And Luke's a doctor, so he has extraordinary detail. What he's saying is, listen, fact check me. This happened. Fact check me. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This happened. See, everyone had to go to their, their own town of origin or where they were born to register so they could know how many people were still alive in the, the Roman Empire and if they were paying taxes. So Joseph, because he was caught up in this, he went to the town of Nazareth, way up in Galilee, all the way down to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and lineage of David. So imagine this conversation. Listen, Mary, honey, I, I got to go down to Bethlehem. Yeah, a four or five day trip. I'm going to go down there. It's going to take me four to five days to get down there. I don't know how long I'm going to be down there. I'm going to be back. So honey, you, you got this. And I'm sure she's thinking, no, I don't got this. No, 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 no. I'm going with you. But honey, it's like four to five days of camping. No, 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 no. I'm going with you. And so both of them took the trip together. And while they were there in Bethlehem, time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her first uh, born a son she wrapped him in cloth type and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them these are the details that no one makes up 
I mean, because if you're writing this story 20 years, 30 years after the resurrection, like, you would think you're making stuff up. Like, you don't place God in a food trough. You don't place him in a manger. But that's what happened. Mary placed Jesus in a manger. Maybe like Luke's like interviewing Mary. It's like, Mary, do you really want to write this? Yes, because that's what happened. We had nowhere to put him. Okay, so we put God in a manger. Yeah. And then it gets even better. So not only is Jesus born, but then God wants to announce it to people. And he decides to choose everyday working people. I mean, right now, we already have Mary and Joseph who are not elite. They're not politicians. They're not the religious elite. They're normal, everyday people. And so there were shepherds living out the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. It's like <laughs> Luke's interviewing them. Hey, guys, listen, if I'm going to write this, you sure you want me to say that you were terrified? I mean, you guys battle wolves and mountain lions, and yet you want me to add that you are terrified. Yeah, 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 because we were terrified. Because we were so terrified that the angel told us, don't be terrified. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Imagine this. 2,000 years from then, shepherds, they're a permanent, they're a permanent part of the story. There are a footnote in the story of the event that would change everything. And this is why this is for people of all generations. Today, they go and say, the angel says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And I just imagine these shepherds, days, weeks, years later, talking to their family, talking to their grandkids. And I can imagine the grandkids coming up, Hey, 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 can you tell us a story? Like, you were, like, really scared. Can you tell us what happened again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, God chose us to announce the birth of his king. And then after this, the, the angel continued, and this will be a sign to you. You're going to find this baby. I want you to go and look. And you're going to find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace in those with whom his favor rests. Now, do you know what that means? Whether you believe this or not, whether you've been pursuing God or not, whether you've been thinking about God or not, whether faith has been inconvenient for you or whether it's been something you put on the back burner, God favors whether you favor him or not, because he proved it by sending his son to save you and I from the penalty of our sin. Now, this is why the angel said, and this is why those who follow Jesus eventually latched onto this terminology, that it's good news. It's good news. And when you hear something good, you want it to be true, even before you're convinced it's true. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and eventually found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, just as the angel had told them. And they went down, saw the baby, 
spent time with Mary and Joseph. And when they left, they told people in the town about the baby boy, the Messiah, the King, who was born to save them from their sin. So they had no idea. They had no idea that that night they would be part of the story forever. I want to fast forward though. Someone else tells about the recount of Jesus' birth, and it was so interesting. It's not the historical narrative. Instead, it's very personal. It's a very personal story. And so after about four years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, a very educated Pharisee or religious leader was born in Syria, and he was raised in Jerusalem, who did not like the Jesus movement. He did not like the Christians. He did not like the followers of Jesus. Maybe you're like, I can relate. You're like, every Christian I've known, they've been pretty difficult to, to hang with. See, 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 Saul, he imprisoned them. He tortured them. He wanted to do everything he could to eliminate this movement. And then he becomes a follower of Jesus. He realizes that this is really good news. This is good news for every single nation, every single generation. And so he decides to leave the Palestinian area and he decides to go up in the Mediterranean basin. And he begins sharing this good news. In fact, he starts churches. and In fact, he writes to a group of churches in a Roman province called Galatia. And we have this letter, and it's called Galatians. And he gives his version of the birth of Jesus. But instead of giving the historical context, he's writing from the back end of it. See, Jesus had already been crucified and rose from the dead. Um, and it's been four years from the resurrection. He's a follower. He's looking back. And he knows how it all plays out. He understood how Genesis is now connected to Jesus' resurrection. So then he begins to talk about it. And he makes it very personal for him, but also for us. Notice what he writes. But when the set time had fully come. Now that is a phrase pregnant with meaning. Like, it, like in other words, God had everything just the way that he wanted it to be. But it, took, but it took years, it took decades, it took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, he called a guy by the name of Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to know that through your family, the world will be blessed. And then, somehow, they multiply and multiply, and they end up in Egypt. And as a slave nation, they're thinking, okay, wait a minute, like, you promised Abraham like, we've always heard as kids that somehow we're going to bless the world. Like, we're not blessing the world as a slave nation. And then God sends Moses, and he's like a savior. He saves the nation, gets them out of slavery, and then he establishes a covenant between, get, between his people, Israel. And he says this, he says, Israel, this isn't about you. This is about the whole world, and one day the entire world is going to be blessed through you. And then generation and generation, it came and went, came and went, came and went, and finally the kingdom was started. And then the second king, David, God Told David, David, listen, this isn't about you either. It's about the whole world. And somebody in your lineage will one day show up and the whole world is going to be blessed through that person, a king. But then that time wasn't right either. You had the Babylonians and then you had the Assyrians and then you had the Persians and the Greeks and then the Romans. And by this time, the civilized world, speaking Greek, same language, Latin's on the rise, Roman roads, the Mediterranean basin is safe, the port cities are safe. Notice what happens time had fully come. God decided, hey, this is the time. So even though in all that silence, God wasn't silent. 
in that time, when it, the right time, God sent his son. And then this is part of the Christmas story. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption to his sonship. The suffering, the chaos, the loss, the temptation. God sent his son into the world. And I think maybe Paul puts his pen down or maybe he tells his scribe, he just, he just pauses and the scribe is like, wait, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. Because this part is so personal. And maybe for some of you, this isn't real personal. You've kind of lost track a little bit. Faith became inconvenient and it maybe still is inconvenient for you. You're only here because someone is sort of like forcing you to be here or maybe they're, you don't want them to ask you again. So you're like, okay, just get off my back. But when he writes this, to redeem or purchase back those under the law, perhaps this is the hardest word for him to write, that we might receive sonship. See, Paul had a very, very embarrassing, sordid past. I mean, he had Christians arrested and tortured, women tortured, husbands and wives separated, separated from their kids. Some were tortured to death. Some, he didn't even know what had happened to them. And he was guilty and he was responsible. And yet he writes, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption or legal, actual, literal child of God. That angel that spoke to Joseph at night was right. That this Jesus would save us from our sin. And Paul is saying, listen, even my sin. And just before Jesus was arrested, he gathers his apostles one last time, and they're going to celebrate the Passover. And of course, they thought, okay, this is the night. This is the night that Jesus is going to take off his rabbi robe. He's going to put on his cape, the big Messiah. Oh yeah, he's going to take the city back. We're going to roll and reign. We're going to roll with him. We're going to have our nation back. We're going to be a superpower. Because they still didn't understand. He didn't come to save them from Rome. He came then to save them from their sin. And it wasn't just about Israel. It was about the whole world. And they're having the Passover meal, and Jesus does the unthinkable. And let me kind of prime it this way. Imagine, maybe this is a way I can, can say this. Imagine that tonight we're gathered here, and we're assuming that, hey, I'm your pastor, and you attend this church. Imagine if I got up here on Christmas Eve and said, hey, I normally know that Christmas is about Jesus' birthday, like we celebrate Jesus, but from now on, we're going to celebrate my birthday. Now, some of you, would, you wouldn't laugh. You'd be like, okay, hold on. This is not going to go well. You might send me to a psychiatrist checking me out because we're no longer celebrating Jesus' birthday. We're celebrating my birthday. Most of you can't even imagine me having the guts to do that because it would not make any sense. What Jesus did on this night is far, far more disconcerting because he said, look, guys, you know how, since you were a kid, you celebrated God delivering his ancestors, his people from Egypt. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what Passover is all about. Okay, well, and from now on, I, I want, when you celebrate this meal, not to do it in remembrance of that, but in remembrance of me. Like, they should have gotten up and left the room. But what he is saying is this, guys, listen, you don't understand it now, but tomorrow I'm going to put on a demonstration of love that's going to take your breath away because it's going to take my breath away and it will take your sin away. 
And two and a half days later, when you see me having risen from the dead, then you'll understand what you have heard me say. It would all make sense. And the angel, what the angel told Joseph, what the angel told Mary will all come to pass. See, God has done something for the world, in the world, for the people of the world. And I want you to do this in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus is saying. And the sacrifice I'm about to make on your behalf. And here's the amazing thing. It's unexplainable for 2,000 years because this is what we've been doing. We're gathering to adore the baby from Bethlehem. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion together, we celebrate what he did. This is the reason why he came. He came to save you and I from the consequences and the penalty of our sin and to restore our relationship with God. So how is it that a baby born in the most unremarkable place to unremarkable parents in the first century has come to be adored by so many? Because God so loved the world. God so loved you. In spite of you, God loves you. And that is why people adore him. So listen, not only did it change the world, but it changes you and I. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection changes everything. It changes our world and it changes you and your world. So let's pray. Now, for those who are watching online, uh, feel free to take communion for yourself. There's going to be music playing for you. We hope you enjoy your Christmas day. For those of us who are in the room, we are going to begin transitioning to the Lord's Supper, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the privilege of being a pastor. Thank you for the story of Christmas. Thank you for the reality of that. Father, I ask that uh, wherever this lands with us, that you would give us the courage to embrace that. Uh, God, if this is a reminder, I pray that we would take it with us. If this is the first time in a long time our hearts have been stirred, I pray that you, you, would, you would help us not to ignore it. And that in these next few minutes as we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, that it may mean something new, it may mean something fresh, and that we would sense this is more than just a Christmas. And in this moment, we are connected to you. We are also connected to the legacy of people over the last 2,000 years celebrating Jesus's birth. In Jesus' name, amen.